Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. So welcome from episode 91, guys. This is episode 92. It is the second part of our discussion about oxalates with Elliot Overton. So in the first part, we obviously had to lay the groundwork. We spoke about the science, the logic, what is oxalate, where is it found, what foods is it high in, what is the process of oxalate poisoning, and so forth. In this second part, we were just about getting into the process of oxalate dumping. Now, oxalate dumping is when you move to a low oxalate diet, there is a period of time when you are going to be eliminating oxalate that has been accumulated. And in doing so, it can cause some metabolic crisis or some symptoms that can be similar to other conditions. And it can be quite confusing, quite horrible to go through. And I personally have been through what we believe has been several bouts of oxalate dumping over the last couple of months. So we do talk about my experience too. Hopefully you find this discussion really insightful because it gives a clue as to what might be happening to you now or what could be happening if you transition to a low carb or a keto or carnival or a low oxalate diet. Enjoy it guys and as always any questions get through to me or Elliot on the Adapt Nation Facebook page. Enjoy. Adapt Nation. In people who don't have the genetics, but they just go on a binge of spinach smoothies, then we can hypothesize that actually oxalate, a high oxalate diet is very likely like sticking around in these people's bodies and wreaking havoc. Mm. It's, it's easy to get <laughs> to put this in the category of people that try or move towards a vegan diet and they talk about hey you've just got to go through the healing process and you know it's detoxifying and you know you can it's, it's bad before it's good and you see people deteriorating before your very eyes yet they're wedded to the commitment of the diet and that they're going through a process so on that uh, i think it's really important we talk about oxalate dumping uh, i know it's going to take up a little bit more time just before we do that, though, I just want to make one point very clear. If I go and have myself, you know, a rich oxalate smoothie, loads of, you know, blueberries or blackberries, um, spinach, maybe I put some almond butter in there, I've got some almond milk, I've got some cacao powder, I've got turmeric, basically things I used to have. Uh, and I knock it back in a, in a big, kind of like one litre jug. I'm not necessarily going to feel anything. Like that day, that that moment or that day, right? It's not a an acute response. Or am I wrong? I mean, I, I guess if you really went to town, you'd you'd feel some immediate response. But for the most part, I think this is why it's hard to grasp. Is it's not like an allergy or a sensitivity. You have something and you come out in hives. You go about your day and you don't really feel the immediate response. Is that is that fair? Uh, yeah, I mean, for some people it is. Other people, um, sometimes they do get, they they do kind of feel it the next day, or they do feel it maybe even that day. Um, but generally, uh, I think you you are correct in that 
And this is, again, one of the reasons why it is really quite insidious. It goes unchecked because people can't, you can't feel the damage it's doing to you necessarily. Um, however, I do notice I've had many people who, who, have, who have openly stated that when they eat high oxalate foods, it changes the consistency of their stool. Um, they do get minor changes, but for the average person, it's not something that they would necessarily pick up on. You wouldn't be aware you know? of that. No, no, a lot of people wouldn't be aware of that if they're not looking for it. And so, um, yeah, for the majority of people, it can go on for a very long time. And it's it's not that when you, you see, when you cut out oxalates from the diet, it, it's not like everything goes away. And this is what I think your listeners really need to understand is that actually that's just the start of it, <laughs> is that cutting it out is is literally is the start of the process because unlike gluten or unlike um, any other kind of phytonutrient or plant chemical that is potentially going to cause like a sensitivity in you, this is not a sensitivity. This is an accumulation of a toxin. You have to understand that your body is accumulating this stuff. And that means that actually what can happen is, is that you need to get rid of it at some point. But the way you're getting rid of that is really going to, or the rate at which you're getting rid of that is going to depend on several things. And one of those things is actually how much you're eating in the diet. So if you have a high oxalate diet, and we spoke about what happens when you ingest oxalate, you're absorbing oxalate in the blood, and this is pumping up blood, blood levels of oxalate. And I don't know of the mechanism of this. I think Susan has a rough idea of how it works, but I, I'm not entirely sure. All that I know is that there is some kind of sensing mechanism whereby our body is detecting, tissues are detecting that levels of oxalate are in the blood. And we know, okay, it's like if there's a high level of oxalate in the blood, then we are not going to release any that's stored or sequestered in tissue because that could potentially be very damaging mm. to the body. That could be very... That could be a major threat to the kidneys. You know, if you pump up blood levels of oxalate too high, you're potentially going to cause acute renal failure. Uh, this is what happens when, I mean, there was a study just last year, actually, or this year, there was a case study of a woman who gave herself acute kidney failure by having like four spinach smoothies that day. Um, so it can happen if you have too much. The same thing is that when you're releasing it into your body or you're releasing it from your tissues to be excreted, then you you, you don't want to overburden the blood or you don't want to pump up the blood level too much because that could be dangerous. So what's going to happen is, is that actually as long as you've got a high oxalate diet, your body will likely continue excreting what it can, and also it will be sequestering what it can't necessarily deal with, or if there's, you know, inflammation, if there's injury, then your body will be basically storing that, that oxalate, it could be in the joints or in the organs or wherever, wherever it is, in the connective tissue, in the nerves, in the vascular system, who knows. Um, but what is going to happen then is that when you, all of a sudden, if you were to lower the amount of oxalate in your diet, as let's say that you went on a carnival diet. So what is going to happen then is your blood level of oxalate is going to go down. And when that goes down, there is that sensing mechanism that basically says, hey, hey, right, 
blood level of oxalate has gone down. That means it's safe to get rid of this crap, right? So what you will do is then you will like gradually you will start to liberate what has been stored and this is being characterized in primary hyperoxaluria you know it's well known that this is what happens your body will actually begin to release stored oxalates pumping up the blood level again and that will then be excreted in whichever way that you can excrete it and this is called dumping again it's not detoxification because it's not going specifically to the liver to be transformed and then conjugated with some detoxification um mediator you know it's not a detoxification pathway per se it's literally you are taking it and you are dumping it you're dumping it in whatever way you can so dumping um, it can occur. I mean, it, most of it occurs through the gut. Okay. So what's going to happen is, is the blood flow, the oxalate is, is basically going to be passed into the gut. You're going to have some oxalate being reabsorbed, hopefully not too much, but then it's going to go out through the feces. You may be dumping. Some people tend to dump more through the urine. I don't know why that is. It just seems that some people dump more through the urine than they do, or they have symptoms which are predominantly urinary. Some people can have um, diarrhea or constipation-related symptoms with dumping. You see that w when you are releasing oxalate from the, the stores, oxalate is going to be activating that immune system. You know, we were talking about the inflammasome before, but it, you know, it's very much detected as a metabolic poison. And so when you are dumping that, you are really activating inflammatory signals. You're activating like an inflammatory cascade, which could manifest as... Um, perhaps like uh, a rash, it could manifest as hives, it could manifest in, I mean, it seems to manifest in lots of different ways for lots of different people. Um, but if you are dumping through the gut, then it is going to, it can cause digestive symptoms, pain, it can cause sandy colored stools, it may cause blood to be in your stool. Um, there can, there have been many different symptoms related to the GI tract, which have been, um, which have been noted when someone is getting rid of these oxalates. All right. And um, generally, this can go on for a very long time. Okay. Because if you've had a very high oxalate diet, or alternatively, if you've had gut, gut issues for a very long time, and that if you have been absorbing and sequestering oxalate rather than having the ability to get rid of it as it, as it comes, then really this is going to take a while. So for some people, it could take weeks. I mean, others months, more likely years though. Um, there are some people who seem to still have dumping reactions, um, say six, seven, eight years after going on a low oxalate diet. It's important to note that dumping appears to go in cycles. So it for some people, it may be every three weeks. In other people, it may be every month or it may be every couple of days. It really depends. I have one guy who um, he removed oxalates immediately from his diet after we were talking about them. Uh, he had severe like urinary issues. 
he removed oxalates immediately and he had a, a like a honeymoon period whereby all of his urinary symptoms, which are really quite common, by the way, so any chronic UTI or interstitial cystitis or any frequent urination or anything, these are really common with oxalate issues. What can actually happen is, 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 um, is that someone, when they immediately cut down oxalates, they get... Um, they get like a resolution of their symptoms and this can be termed what is called like the honeymoon period. And this can go on maybe for a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months. But then what happens is their body for whatever reason triggers the signal that they need to start getting rid of the stored oxalate. And then, um, and then there can be cycles of, 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 what you call kind of flaring of old symptoms. You can have re-exacerbation of old injuries. So if there's, um, say, if someone has a frozen shoulder or they broke their arm a couple of years ago and it's still a bit tender, then actually you can have pain and inflammation in that area. Um, it's, it's also important to note that <clears throat> oxalate, <clears throat> because of its ability to chelate minerals, because of its ability to deplete certain vitamins, when someone has a high oxalate diet or when they are dumping, because there is this high level of oxalate in the blood circulating around the body, what can actually happen is, is that oxalate, as, as I've said before, binds very tightly with minerals. So it can actually deplete us of very um, important minerals such as potassium, magnesium, calcium, zinc, iron, um, copper, I mean, lots of different minerals. And so when someone is going through these kind of dumping phases, it's important to try to um, to replenish those where possible. Likewise, there are also likely going to be nutrient depletions. We, it seems that, well, any tissue-specific inflammation is going to deplete B6, okay? But oxalate specifically, you, you seem to need... B6 to process oxalate as well through the liver. And it seems that oxalate does deplete B6. Oxalate seems to correlate well with thiamine deficiency as well. And so um, B6 and thiamine tend to be two of the vitamins which are hit hard in this condition. And so although someone may be getting adequate amounts through their diet, if they are burdened with oxalates, then um, if they are burdened with oxalates, then they will potentially be depleting themselves of this anyway. And so they may need to top up on that. But if I remember cl correctly, um, you've you've not long done this experiment, right, Steve? Yeah, I was, I was actually just going to interject, interject and just make it real for everyone. And, and I know we're, we're running long on this discussion, but this is where I think it really, really crystallizes. So let's spend a minute or so just walking through my, my journey. So as I say, Elliot, I've been I've been focused on eating as well as I know how to for maybe good two, three years. And you know, that has followed the traditional routes, including high fiber, um, lots of phytonutrients, lots of plant material. I mean, I'm I've always been a big meat eater, so that has never changed, but you know, I really amped up my my plant consumption. And if I'm honest, didn't notice to have many issues. I will say though, very, very frequent urination. And I assumed that must just be because I drink a lot of water and have a lot of kind of water in my foods. Um, I had carpal tunnel type things, flare ups every once in a while. Um, 
and um, you know, got vitiligo a few years ago. Can't don't know what to put, put that on it in particular, but I know that's an autoimmune condition. I've had skin issues, but again, I wouldn't look at any of those things and say, Steve, you're really suffering. Just going about my life as a you know mid thirty year old guy, you know, training, feeling good, cognitively sharp. Didn't really look at any of these as major issues, just a sign of aging, perhaps. Um, but through my own journey uh, of education, nutritionally, you know, I stumbled across you know the benefits of going lower carb, and that led me to a carnivorous diet. Now, I must say, I'm not, I have never fully experienced a carnivore diet in its truest sense. You know, meat, salt, water. Um, but I have edged ever, ever closer to a diet that's very low in carbs um, and predominantly animal-based nutrition. So I, I went from a diet, just to put some numbers on it, because I've, I've got a spreadsheet from the TLO community. I was having, on average, probably 1,350 milligrams of oxalates a day in, in comparison to you know, 100 or so that you should probably have, which is a safe amount. So I was killing it. <laughs> if there's a champion of oxalate consumption, it would be me. And it was because everything, I'm, I'm a very regimented guy. You know, once I have a fit in my head, it's like, okay, if that's good for me, how much can I get? And I'm going to do it every <laughs> single day. And that was, that's my life. My, my wife can say exactly the same thing. Once I'm on it, the supplements, the, you know, the food requirements, <laughs> they just go through the roof. So I've been doing that and doing that. And, you know, I haven't been putting anything together decided to go lower carb, felt good for that, decided to transition to a, a, a diet which isn't plantless but had much, much fewer plants. And at the same time, I'd learned about oxalates. It triggered me to think, okay, maybe, maybe there's something here. And I started looking through the list. I'm like, fuck, every single one of these I'm having <laughs> at volume. So, um, right, so I, I, went on, I went on this diet and I must admit I had that honeymoon phase two, three weeks. Um, once I kind of went from 1,350 to, you know, 100 milligrams. Um, yeah, it took a while to get fat adapted because I was transitioning through that kind of metabolic ad adaptation as well. Um, but after a couple of weeks, I started feeling pretty good. Mood was on point. Gym performance was, you know, getting back to normal, even without the carbs. Um, I'm generally feeling I'm, I'm, I'm on a path to goodness. And then about three weeks in, I just got hit by a truck. And I'd been informed, so therefore I was starting to pin thing, things together. And my wife was looking at me very skeptically, very cynically going, Steve, you're being an absolute hypochondriac. But this is what happened. I basically went into metabolic meltdown. I just went from a guy who's never ill to basically crashing and burning. My, I, I got like a, a major kind of flu fever type vibe what felt like a massive bout of poison, uh, food poisoning that lasted about five days of constantly needing to be, uh, you know, arm's distance from from the toilet. So, you know, just loads of diarrhea, loads of just, like, just horrible experiences in the toilet. My hands started peeling, like the palms of my hands went incredibly porous and were not peeling like, like big bits of skin, but, you know, really fine, flaky, peely, porous palms and it looked awful it looked like as if i was dying it was ridiculous <sighs> i had incredible sensitivity in my fingertips that carpal tunnel type neuro neuropathy type symptoms in the fingertips mm. flared to the point i'm like struggling to type struggling to touch my phone my energy tanked of course because i was in this kind of flu-like state 
my concentration and sharpness just went. I was confused, waking up in the morning, just struggling to think. And I pride myself on my, you know, cognition. Insane stomach cramps, aches everywhere, like in my joints, in my hip, in my knees, in my ankles, in my in my elbows, in my wrists. My HRV, because I measure that, the heart rate variability with my aura ring was tanking. It was like sub 30 when I was normally at least 90 or 100. And this was every day. Um, sleep was just basically crap. I couldn't get any sleep. Mood, as I say, wasn't in a good spot. And I was getting a migraine-like headache as well. And this all just hit me. It went from being cool to basically feeling like as if I've just had a major cold, major flu. But the symptoms were beyond that. So I could have had a bout of food poison, poison, and I was having some liver. Maybe it was a bad batch of liver. I could have <laughs> had a flu, albeit I work from home and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't go out on the tube anymore. I don't, you know, don't interact with tons of people every day like I used to. So I thought, you know, likelihood of contract getting something from someone else is much lower these days. And I'm looking after myself. I'm training. I'm eating well. So. It was crazy. And that lasted, as, as I say, for about a week or two. And then I started coming out of it. But since then, I've been getting bouts of funkiness. So a couple of weeks back, I had another mild bout of what felt like food poisoning, constipation followed by diarrhea. And just like, where's that come from? Again, um, last week, and this was the most bizarre, Go to going to bed. I'm like, babe, I, I, I don't feel very well. I don't know what's going on. Like, just kind of like shivery, skin sensitive, not feeling too tight. I went for 24 hours, only 24 hours of basically feeling like again I've been hit by a truck. Just meltdown. Like body didn't want to wake up. Stayed in bed all day. Couldn't move. Every movement was killing me. My my joints were aching. I just felt like an old man. I couldn't eat anything. Right. My my temperature was really high. And in 24 hours later, I was fine. I'm like. Where's that come from? <laughs> Where's that come from? And my carpal tunnel, like, and again, I don't think I've got carpal tunnel, but I have something going on with my fingertips. And it, again, right. it's been something happening for a while. That kind of flaring up, coming and going and coming and going. My sleep continues to be restless and sh I'm struggling with that. But I used to go to the toilet three or four times a night. I used to go to the toilet probably 15 times a day. Um, and during this period, it's ebbed and flowed. And I'm now in less urgent need to go to the toilet. I thought maybe I'd be diabetic, but I wasn't having any carbs, so that didn't make any sense. Right. Ra random aches in my joints. Like a couple of days ago, my wrists were killing me when I woke up. My my, mm -hmm. my ankles were killing me. I've got this elbow thing that's just come out of nowhere. And I, I agree with you that I'm I'm getting old symptoms flare. Like I have hurt my elbow before. Um, I have clearly got something going wrong with my hands. Uh, and these just seem to be flaring. But then miraculously disappearing without me being able to say categorically with me and my wife saying, okay, it was that thing. I had too much of this. I had too little of that. It's a deficiency. I mean, I'm eating so much nutrition. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I know I'm eating four and a half thousand calories a day. I'm bulking right now. <laughs> and I'm having, <laughs> I'm having lots of meat, lots of fish, you know, variety right. of different cuts of everything. I'm having mushrooms, salad, cheeses, milks, you know, I'm having some vegetables. I'm eating. I'm eating. I'm eating well. Yeah. So I don't know, man. It, it sounds like a really unfortunate coincidence, or my drastic cut in oxalates has triggered this uh, pulsing, pulsing release, cyclical release, and 
I just get hit with, you know, just feeling a bit funky from a mood perspective every once in a while through to some of these other things we just spoke about. I don't know. Maybe I'm just kind of seeing things that aren't there, but maybe well, something's <laughs> happening. Now, the thing is, what you just described, I'm really sorry to, that you've had to go through that, but w- what you've described is basically by the book. Yeah, it's 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 that um, some people don't get all of those symptoms. Some people do get all of those symptoms, but it's those collection of very strange, unexplainable symptoms coming at the same time or shortly after cutting out oxalate from the diet. And this is something that they've been observing on that trying low oxalate group since ever since it was born, you know, more than I think it was more than a decade ago that they were on Yahoo groups and they've been experimenting with thousands of people who basically report very similar things to you. So I really do not think it's a coincidence. And unfortunately, we can't characterize exactly what is happening. Um, But one thing I wanted to ask was, um, did the did all of those symptoms kind of come? Um, did they come at the same time? Like you said that you had carpal tunnel. Was that was that at the same time as everything else, or the symptoms of carpal tunnel? No. So I would say I would say that the peeling hand hands things start started happening before this kind of major kind of cold in, flu type incident. Right. And they started just getting like porous and, you know, fl- flaky, right? You know, just like as if like you've got, you know, flaky skin on, on you know, on your arm, but on my palms and my hands, which is really odd, right? Uh, and I just put it down to uh, maybe I use a bit of baby powder here and there. You know, I was using a bit of chalk here and there when I was training on the bar. Like, yeah, it's just maybe I just need to like cream my hands a little bit. So that was probably happening quite shortly in and around me lowering my carbs because in lowering my carbs i was lowering my oxalates albeit not a massive transition Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then yeah i think think most of this stuff kind of just there was a crescendo kind of amping up but it was it was you know um bookmarked or or pinned by the by this incident of feeling like as if i had food poisoning that just went into a cold and the flu and all that kind of stuff yeah, just really, really bizarre. And again, Elliot, it's it's easy to look at this and go, you've just gone from having loads of plants to practically going carnivore. I know what your problem is. You're not having plants, you fucking idiot. Can't <laughs> <laughs> have your plants again. Clearly your diet isn't working for you. If your diet isn't working, stop it. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? I've got to hear you on that because if my, di- my maybe my diet isn't working or, and this is the more funky, quackery, part of me coming out or i'm going through a process and maybe the diet's great for me because i do feel good on low carb and i do love my animal-based nutrition and i haven't changed things drastically albeit i've just taken a lot of the plants out and you know maybe there's there's a good path ahead where all these symptoms don't come back and they they stop ebbing and flowing and actually some chronic issues i was dealing with before disappear maybe but maybe not so i have to be open-minded to know to say actually the diet itself might not be optimal for me as opposed to be dogmatic on this idea it's definitely oxalates yeah i mean i mean i don't think you're necessarily this is the problem with oxalates we can't really test it yeah there's no reliable test for it so you can't always test the urine because as we've said 
the way that the body is excreting it is cyclical. So you go through cycles and and there's even some to some degree, there's a circadian variation to that as well. So it may occur at certain times of the day for certain people and it can vary. And so when you take a urine sample, there may be nothing in there, but that does not mean that you do not have an oxalate issue. Um, that generally means that you've just got it when um it can mean that you've that you've taken the urine sample when you um when you were not excreting any oxalate through your urine right mm. that said that can be an, an easy excuse used by someone to kind of claim that oxalate is the cause of all issues and it's clearly not like anyone who goes on the TLO group if if they're not aware then they you know they could very easily get the impression that oxalates were the cause of all different kinds of health conditions. And it, it's it's simply not the case. Yeah. Um, and no one's trying to say that. But what what seems to be the case is that there seem there is a consistent finding and it, it doesn't seem to be coincidental. And based on on what you just said, the example that you gave, um, people they might say that if they see someone going from kind of like a, a a diet with lots of plants, a very varied diet, because it's what we've been brainwashed to think is that we need a balanced, varied diet with every single different food group in on a balanced plate to, to have a healthy meal, you know? And that's just a load of BS. It's complete nonsense. But let's say that someone did have, uh, you know, a, a, a diet with lots of plants in it and, and some meat they go over to a diet which is purely carnivorous, then someone could very well make the argument, like in your um, example, that it is because you've gone onto this really restrictive diet and actually it's it's because of all of the meat or it's all of the protein or you're not getting enough of the plant phytonutrients or something. And okay, that is a plausible kind of argument. But then how can we apply that to people who don't go to carnivore? Because we've been talking about animal-based nutrition, but actually there are thousands of people in the oxalate community who are not carnivores, who eat a very balanced diet. You know, they eat fruit, they eat, uh, they eat mm. lots of vegetables, they just eat lo um, low oxalate vegetables. They might be vegetarian, they might be vegan. M many of them are meat eaters though. They eat a very balanced diet in terms of what you would consider to be a balanced diet, yet they still experience the same thing. So there seems to be a common factor here and it can't be put down purely to going onto these extreme diets because quite frankly, you can do a low oxalate diet in a very non-extreme way, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, actually, something is going on here. Something is happening. It's interesting when you do run urine samples, like I said that there's no reliable test, but I do have many people come to me and they want to look at various things, some of the B vitamins and their metabolism and stuff. And there is a test called the urinary organic acids test, and that's by Great Plains Laboratory in the United States. So I do, I mean, I do run quite a lot of those tests. Um, they're not always diagnostic. And as I said, they can provide false negatives. So actually, if someone's not excreting oxalates, but they fit all of the symptoms and then they, they feel better on a low oxalate diet, then they've transitioned, they've, they've 
they've likely got oxalate issues. But if you run a urinary organic acids test, you would be surprised at how many people do have like really high urinary oxalate. Like it's, it's, it's very interesting. People with all kinds of different health conditions, generally people with gut issues tend to have high urinary oxalate. And that fits in perfectly with the research is that people who have leaky gut, who have gut dysbiosis, who have gut issues, they are at a higher risk for absorbing more oxalate. You know, so there are lots of patterns that you see among people. And it's like when you start working with people like, you know, I work out in the field. I work with people who have actually who come to me with these symptoms, many of them already on a low oxalate diet or have heard about it and want to try it. And you see it playing out and you just see people. um, Sometimes you see a miraculous a miraculous improvement in symptoms within a couple of days. Other times it takes longer. Um, Other times you think it's oxalate, but it's not. But more often than not, going on a low oxalate diet appears to really help. Um, And just just to, um, we spoke about this beforehand. We were talking about some of the things that that you can do, right? So some of the things that people can do. Um, and we were, <clears throat> when I said that your body is, is excreting this oxalate, it's getting rid of it. It can get rid of it in lots of ways. It can come out in the eyes. We spoke about the, um, the gut and, and the urinary tract. So someone might get digestive distress or urinary bladder issues that can get bladder pain or kind of kidney pain. Um, but it also seems to actually, um, in some people anyway, it can actually come out in the skin. So you can have crystals being caught, kind of forced out of the skin. This can produce a kind of like a rash. Um, someone can get a rash, even if there's no crystals coming out of the skin, it could be the immune system being activated, maybe a weak point, but it, it definitely seems that there's definitely a skin component and there's also the eyes as well. And so actually supporting someone's body through this, or if you are listening to this, you know, if you, if you tried a low oxalate diet and you're thinking, well, what can I do about it? Because actually I've tried going low oxalate and generally my symptoms got really, you know, they may have improved or they may have got a lot worse, um, or they may have kind of cycled. And there are various things that you can do to actually support that process. So one of those is to take, um, any type of calcium or magnesium. Now, calcium forms the tightest bond with oxalate, okay? And so if you are, let's let's say that you are excreting oxalate, you're dumping it through the gut, what is going to happen is that some of that is going to be excreted into the feces. But the problem is, is that when it's dumped into the gut, there is always the possibility that it can be reabsorbed. You see, when in your digestive system, you have various or continuous sort of cycles of reabsorption. So you, um, with bile acids, for instance, you produce new bile acids, they come into the gut and then they're reabsorbed and then they recycled and recycled. And I think a similar thing can happen with oxalates. And so actually, if someone has this issue, um, then taking calcium, preferably calcium citrate, but I mean, you could take also, you could take eggshell calcium or just some standard calcium carbonate. Uh, Taking that in the gut can actually be very beneficial because it forms that tight salt or that tight 
bond with oxalate. That tight binding actually prevents oxalate from being reabsorbed in the gut afterwards. Okay, so that's one factor. There's also something else. Magnesium is said to bind with oxalate as well. And what that can do is when someone um, is liberating this stuff, not only does it cause kind of cause potassium deficiency in some people, it can also cause magnesium deficiency. It can mess around with the minerals. So I recommend taking like a, a full spectrum trace mineral supplement, but specifically topping up on the magnesium and potentially the potassium as well. Um, magnesium citrate, potassium citrate, calcium citrate, these are useful adjuncts. And the reason um, for the citrate form of those, those um, supplements is actually because citrate or when, when citrate is in the body, it can actually be used to dissolve um, calcium oxalate crystals. So for instance, citrate is protective against something like kidney stones, and it can be used to support the breakdown of kidney stones. Um, it's the citrate which can actually kind of dissolve in a very simplified way, dissolve the calcium oxalate stone and actually um, help you to excrete that, help you to get rid of that. Okay. So, so for example, I I have I've walked through the morning with salt, you know, some Himalayan salt and lemon juice. Whilst that's not any any of the things you've just said, I mean, there's citrate in lemon, right? And I'm getting yeah sodium at least in in my Himalayan salts. I've also got some potassium in low salt or something if I wanted to add that in. So you, you could do something like that, right? Or was, is it better just to get the kind of supplemental form? No, I mean, you could do that. Yeah, of course you could do that. You could use low salt, you could use, you know, sodium, um, magnesium, if you have any Epsom salts, you know, there is, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a guy called the snake diet. Yeah, I've heard of heard of his uh, snake juice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I think that, that that is fantastic. That is great stuff. Yeah. Um, if it doesn't give you diarrhea, if it does give you diarrhea, you can reduce the Epsom salts in it, the magnesium sulfate. But that is really hitting all bases because that's hitting sodium, potassium and magnesium. Yeah. Um, so I think that that would be very helpful in, in the context of dumping. Um, but there are a couple of other things that, that people generally tend to do and they find that it helps. So it's important to note that not only does oxalate affect those minerals, but I did mention how oxalate can deplete certain vitamins. So the two of those which tend to be affected in many people, um, I don't know if it's coincidence, I don't personally think it is, um, but I see it a lot, is that actually vitamin B6 and vitamin B1 um, tend to show up low in test results on their functional markers or even plasma B6 when I measure it. So actually supporting this system, I am generally not a massive fan of uh, long-term supplementation, but specifically in the context of oxalates, I do find that it helps people a lot generally. Um, so I um, I generally recommend like some potassium, no, sorry, some um, pyridoxal 5-phosphate. Uh, that is the active form of vitamin B6. In some people, if if they take this um, whilst they're, they're not dumping, then that it can actually trigger dumping for some reason. It, it's having some effect on the liver. I think it's having some effect on the enzymes. It can actually, uh, it seems to be able to stir up oxalate a little bit, okay? 
Likewise, thiamine. Thiamine is another one of those. Um, a specific type of thiamine called thiamine tetrahydrofurfal disulfide. In other words, alithiamine or lipothiamine. Uh, this can generally be very be very beneficial as well. It's important to note that people who are deficient in vitamin B6 or vitamin B1 can actually be a little bit more predisposed toward making their own oxalate in the liver, and that can contribute to the overall load of oxalate in the body. Okay, so that is potentially something to consider as well. If you're not eating organ meats, I would I would really recommend incorporate some organ meats into your diet, um, preferably liver. Um, if you can, brain, <laughs> if you can go there. If not, you know, liver I find is the best. It's probably the most nutrient dense liver and kidney are anyway. Um, but that should give you a big dose of vitamin B6. Um, if you're on, if you eat meat, then that is going to cover most of the bases. But as long as the meat is not overcooked, um, the problem is, is that if there is a long-term storage of oxalates and you are going through a period of dumping, then there's a possibility that the nutrients that are coming from the carnivore diet are not necessarily enough to correct a deficit if that is being depleted by kind of oxalate uh, screwing with metabolism. Does that if that makes sense. So if you're in a period or if you're in a state where your body is under attack, like you're liberating all of these oxalates, it's messing with your minerals, it's messing, messing with your vitamins and everything, then I'm not sure if just eating organ meats is going to cut that. Um, I, you know, I do tend towards just like a B complex with some extra thiamine or, or vitamin B6, if only temporarily or kind of cyclically in the month. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, ongoing. Now, in someone who is having joint pain or joint flares or muscle muscle pains, generally if someone is getting like asymmetric muscle muscle pains, they haven't injured it, they haven't they can't kind of find any reason why they've got the muscle pain, then there's a possibility that that is oxalate related as well. So, you know, this kind of phantom muscle pain that people get, what I find is that actually using some DMSO, so that DMSO, are you familiar with that? I'm not, no. Right. So that stands for dimethyl sulfoxide. That's basically a, a type of sulfur that was discovered um, I think a couple centuries ago, but DMSO, yeah, it's a type of sulfur, but what it's a very special type whereby you, it's a type of kind of liquid. You can get it in a cream. There's, there's two good companies. There's one good one in the UK called Regency Organics, but there's one in the US as well. Um, and what that does, it can be used with other medicines to carry them past the skin barrier directly into the cells. But DMSO in and of itself can actually be used to, you can put it on the skin and it can get directly, it kind of bypasses all of the barriers. So it goes through the skin and it can kind of pierce directly into tissue. And when it gets there, it saturates all of these kind of um, anti-inflammatory pathways. Um, it can upregulate the the internal detoxification inside the cell. So it's it's a precursor. I think it turns into MSM in the body, but it's a precursor for sulfur. And the important thing to note about oxalate, and we haven't spoken about this, but 
I don't want to go just quickly touch on it, is that oxalate, when it is getting into the body, what it's essentially doing, it goes through a transporter. I think it's called SLC2369, but I could be wrong about the numbers. Basically, it is a... Um, a bidirectional transporter. It's an ion transporter. So these are located on on the membranes. And what happens is 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 when oxalate is going one way, you have other ions or other yeah other ions inside the cell are going another way. So basically, as oxalate comes into the cell, for every oxalate that comes into the cell, other minerals are pushed out of the cell. Likewise, as as certain minerals come into the cell, oxalate is pushed out of the cell. So this is one of the mechanisms that we are getting oxalate out of cells is actually through these bidirectional transporters, okay? And the the, the oxalate transporter is actually um, is utilizing oxalate, it's utilizing bicarbonate, and it's utilizing sulfate, okay? So what that means is, is that if you've got lots of oxalate, stored in a cell or wait there we won't go there yet if you've got lots of oxalate coming into the cells say from a really high oxalate diet it by you know goes through the liver past the kidney and then actually stores in a tissue when oxalate is getting into the cells it's pushing out other minerals is pushing out sulfate. So it can actually cause us be to become sulfate deficient or sulfur deficient. And sulfur is extraordinarily important for the production of connective tissue, for the detoxification of xenobiotics, of excess hormones, for many different things that we don't have time to go into here. But all you need to know is that sulfate is bloody important and oxalate causes us to waste that like at the cellular level, at the kidney level, potentially at the gut level. But what that means is, is that when we replenish sulfate, we are potentially going to liberate oxalate from the cells, potentially going to pull that out of the cells. Okay. So with that in mind, if you have like a chronic joint problem, a uh, frozen shoulder or like a trigger finger that you suspect might be due to oxalate issues, then actually what you can do or what I get people to do, they, they tend to see benefit is using something like DMSO gel, you know, make sure your hands are clean and your... Um, the area that you're rubbing it on is clean, like completely clean. You rub that in and what that is actually going to do is act as a source of sulfur to ideally pull that oxalate out of the cell and support the, the clearance of that, that oxalate. Um, <clears throat> one of the other things that I get everyone to do is doing Epsom salts baths. It's working on a very similar principle. It's using transdermal absorption of magnesium sulfate, in other words, Epsom salts. Sulfate is in its bioactive form. When you sit in a bath, a very hot bath, approximately four cups of sulfate or Epsom salts per bath, hot bath as hot as you can tolerate it for approximately 20 to 30 minutes if you can last that long. You should be hot, you should be sweaty. What is going to happen is that the sulfate is absorbed transdermally, pumps up um, blood levels of sulfate, and that sulfate can then go on to saturate the cells which is theoretically going to pull oxalate out of the cells. And that is why people find that when they take sulfate baths, 
when they take some sulfur supplements that actually it triggers what is referred to as a dumping symptoms in in those people okay um if now I have had some individuals and they do warn about this on the group I originally didn't take note of it but since then, I have had several people who this has happened to, and now I take things much more slowly, is that when someone has a very, very high oxalate burden, their minerals are kind of a bit skewy, then jumping onto a zero oxalate diet immediately can actually put someone into a temporary state of like a metabolic crisis. It can deplete them of, mag uh, of, of potassium, usually appears to be potassium that is um, most commonly depleted in these people and that actually they, they can be admitted to A&E. Okay, like uh, mm. they go into a state where they might feel like their chest is going to explode or that they feel very faint. They feel like they need to go to hospital. They feel like they might die. Uh, generally, these people are potassium deficient and they're put on a potassium drip. Um, and that tends to solve the issue. Um, but ideally, you know, that has happened with many people before in the past. There are there are several accounts of it. But in my experience, I've had about four or five people who that's happened to over the past um, eight months or so. So no, in the past sort of five months. So, so yeah, it's, as as it, as a result, sorry to cut cut to the chase on that. I just um, I'm assuming where we're going here is that a a kind of hundred to you know like going hundred mile an hour and then going to zero with you know slamming on the brakes is probably not a good idea because you are going to liberate lots of dumping and potentially cause a kind of metabolic catastrophe where you've got deficiencies and you've got you've got lots of you know free toxin running through your body and you've got all these processes happening and your body's kind of fighting fighting the plague almost uh, and that that probably isn't a good idea that's what i done for the most part didn't go to zero but near as damn it given how much i was having previously um and perhaps it would make more sense to take a a slower approach to reducing your oxalates yeah that's exactly it that's exactly it. Just take it slow. And if someone does reduce oxalate too fast, they get these symptoms, then what they can actually try is eating some oxalate-containing food. You know, eating some food that contains high amounts, like drinking some tea, eating some, you know, chocolate or something like that. See if it improves. I've had so many people who've had like chronic diarrhea, constipation, systemic pain, everything like that. And then they eat some oxalate containing foods after going cold turkey and all of the symptoms go away. That is like a telltale sign that actually this person needs to slow down and reduce it. The The average recommendation is to reduce it by about 10% every week. Okay. I, I usually do about 25%. So Yeah, I mean, it, that, know, that would take a long time, right? And I guess when... Yeah. Get after hearing this this great discussion, uh, and people might be running to the hills and they're looking through their pantry and getting rid of everything that's got oxalates in it, with the urge just to to stop the rot. But there's a downside of going cold turkey. You've described it there, so there there is an, a benefit of patience and going. Okay, I'm going to take a I'm going to take a two month journey or you know six month journey even to take myself from the dizzy heights of the oxalates I'm consuming today to a much lower amount. I don't think it's in many people's kind of uh kind of personalities to to know you're doing wrong to your body and and continue to sustain the the burden because it might be a better approach even though hopefully they hear this discussion and go do you know what that makes more sense but 
yeah, I know, I know for me, it was like once I knew that I probably should be removing the levels I've currently got, I just went straight for it. And, and maybe the, I'm being punished for that impatience a little. Yeah, it tends to be the case, especially people who are, you know, health conscious anyway, looking for the <laughs> healthy diets. They tend to be the people who go all in or nothing. Sounds so, uh, yeah, it, it's more common. I did it as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of against the natural, you know, if you know something's toxic, then you want to get away from it. But really, the faster is not better in this case. And actually slower is sometimes better. Um, some people have no issues. Other people need to take it a lot, a lot more slowly. Now, you know, there are some people who this doesn't apply to and that actually uh, a moderately, a moderate oxalate containing diet is not necessarily going to cause them issues. If they're generally healthy otherwise, then I would say that on average, you know, 150 milligrams, 200 milligrams per day is probably good. I don't think anyone should be drinking spinach smoothies, you know, eating whole bars of dark chocolate or anything. But actually, you know, I would stick within the 150 to 200 milligrams. I would say that that is it. I would say 150 is probably safe for the majority of people who are healthy or who consider themselves as healthy. Um, but for anyone with any kind of health issues, um, then I would really consider um, investigating oxalates, you know, learning about it and then and then temporarily trying trying a low oxalate diet and seeing if it gives you any benefits. If it does, then you can bank on the fact that oxalate might be causing an issue for you. Mm. Mm. I, I guess if someone's doing 500 mil, milligrams or or maybe even more, but they don't seem to be suffering or at least they're not aware that some of the things they deal with could be not normal, uh, not common, and perhaps they should be more aware of them and trying to resolve these issues, such as my you know constant frequent urination, thinking that's just a, a thing, right? Um if if you if you're aware enough to know that your diet's quite rich in oxalate, but you're not aware enough of your symptoms to suggest that you you've got an issue, you're otherwise healthy at least from your perspective. Would you say, hey, if if you don't see the problem, don't worry about it? And the reason I ask this question is, we 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 hear of all these degenerative degenerative diseases that take decades to manifest all these chronic diseases and autoimmune conditions we don't get an autoimmune condition just next day i mean it takes decades of deterioration to materialize um but during that time there's a lot of the time and we'll be completely unaware that mm -hmm. there's an internal fight so if if that is uh, an idea that you subscribe to this idea of low level inflammation that just becomes you know issue an issue over time how do you guide someone who otherwise feels healthy to consider this being something to to look into? Well, I mean, in the example that you gave, you know, if they're having 500, 600, 700 milligrams of oxalate, I'm going to be telling them to, <laughs> I'm going to be telling them to drop that down. Like, I don't think that anyone should really be consuming any more than 150 max in a, in our modern world. Yeah. Because, you know, there are people who make the argument that, well, if you look at this so-and-so blue zone community, they eat lots of beetroot, they eat lots of dark chocolate, and they live really healthy lives. Well, it's like, the problem is you can't compare modern Western civilization to the bl blue zones in some rural 
community out in the sticks in where there's zero EMF, there's, you know, very low toxic exposure. They live very, um, their stress level is much lower. They, they, they get more sunlight. They, they live a completely different lifestyle. And I think that their bodies were much better able to deal with the toxicity coming in from oxalate simply because the toxicity from other factors was not there. Whereas mm -hmm. in our modern world, you know, I don't think that human beings naturally should you know, need to be on a low ox oxalate diet. I think that actually our body, maybe a couple hundred years ago, I think that we could probably deal with a bit more than what we can deal with now. Thousands of years ago, yeah, maybe there's some genetic variation in this as well. But actually in our modern world, I don't think that anyone should be eating a high oxalate diet because there are so many factors that disrupt other systems of our body that put us at risk. We are all at risk for the, you know, we are more susceptible now as a population to that, to the toxicity coming from that plant toxin. Right. So I just want to make that clear. Now, in terms of trying to convince someone who feels healthy, that it might be kind of, um, protective long term, um, I, <sighs> I guess it depends on on the way that that person, what that person's values are, you know, what that person values is for them is, um, is the idea of long-term health more valuable than temporary sensory pleasure because many of the high oxalate foods are extremely pleasurable. You know, I myself am a chocolate lover. Are you a chocolate lover? Yeah, I do have dark chocolate still, but just a fractional amount these days. Right. There you go. There you go. So in that case, I mean, really, I think that I think that if people can learn about it, um, oftentimes it's easy to normalize our symptoms as well. Um, this is why, you know, I get many people come to me and, and kind of um, they weren't aware that going to the toilet nine times in a day was abnormal. Yeah. <laughs> well, yep. They they don't know that. Um, you don't know till you know, do you? Right? Exactly. So, and I, I, I put myself in exactly that camp. Like you, you just tolerate what your body's doing, thinking I'm just one of those people that sweats a lot, wheeze a lot, can't sleep well, wakes up in, at night to go for a wee or has disruptive sleep. I'm one of those people that has carpal tunnel. I'm one of those people that has XYZ. I have eczema. I have psoriasis. I have it. It's just who I am. It's what I have. But I, I agree with you. I think many of these symptoms are not normal and they should not be permanent but you need to understand why you have them and oxalates could be could be one of those one one of those one of those dials to play with and i think that's ultimately i think the message we're trying to say here is hey don't believe us like hit hit information understand the science understand the anecdote but ultimately if you've got a high oxalate diet and you're willing to um, prioritize longevity give a low oxalate diet a go and see how you feel. And if you improve or if you experience dumping, this could be, you know, the, the, the next, the next thing you do to improve your long-term health, but you've yeah. got to have the willingness. I, I, yeah. I'm, I think that's bang. Listen, I have had you for so long and this has been <laughs> this has been fantastic. I, I mean, I've been looking at the clock and wow, we've been talking forever, but it's been it's just been been gold the whole time. So thank you so much, Elliot. Thank you for being, 
you know, detailed and going through my lines of curiosity and, you know, looking at, you know, my situation personally, that's been fantastic. Thank you for the, the guidance and recommendations in terms of, you know, how to handle oxalate reduction and all those uh, supplements you can try. The last question I have for you as we close now is, I'm going to put in the show notes, um, the likes of the individuals you've spoken about, like Susan Owens and Sally Norton and their resources. I'm going to link to the Try and uh, Low Oxalate group. That's some fantastic resources there. But what about you? How can people learn more about you, engage with you as a client? And generally, where are you on that kind of the social media front? Um, right, yeah. So I um, I make a video here and there on YouTube. That's something that this year I plan to do some more. I've got a couple of lectures on there, but I like to um, make educational videos on, on things like that. So you can find me on YouTube as EO Nutrition. Um, I'm on Facebook. I don't really use it as much as I, um, as I probably should do as a business, but, uh, you can find me at Elliot at EO nutrition. Again, uh, I do post articles on there every now and again. Um, and then my website, I have some writing up on there and I do some podcasts every now and again with, um, researchers and things. And that is www.eonutrition.co.uk. Um, otherwise, yeah, my email, um, that's my contact details all on my website. And, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like you'd be a, a great uh, service provider for anyone who's curious to, you know, understand their symptoms or just lead a better life. And, um, we don't necessarily have a massive practice of functional medicine in the UK. I know it's very much a, a US centric movement, but it's great to see that people are taking an alternative approach to our current healthcare system and trying to offer more holistic approaches. I think there's a lot of value in that. So, so listen, Elliot, I'm going to let you go. Maybe go and get some food, have a, a low oxalate dinner, why don't you? And um, I'm going to go ahead and do the same. Thank you so much for your time, man. This has been fantastic. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me, mate. And that's a wrap, guys. We are done with our deep dive on oxalates with Elliot Overton. Hopefully you found that insightful and thought-provoking and hopefully enabling for you. You are one of very, very, very few people in the world that understands what oxalate is and why it could be a problem for your body. You should be proud that you have that knowledge. The question now is, what are you going to do about it? Are you having an oxalate-rich diet? And if so, can you make some changes that don't take away much hedonistic value, that perhaps challenge your view of what was superfoods and what was great, and actually you have great nutrition, you look for nutrient density, and you avoid unnecessarily accumulation of oxalates. If you can do that, I think you'd be on a path to even better nutritional health and wellness. So until next time, guys, I'm going to let you crack on and be your best. If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.